Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. What Melody Rules meant for me at this time, it was just an experience that I shelved. Didn't put it on any CVs. I didn't want to be associated with that program. There was definitely a phase a bit later on where the CV scrubbing started, right? Mm Mm-hmm. For some of us, it was pretty traumatising, I imagine. I think a lot of us were out of work and wondering what to do next as a result of that. And it certainly wasn't the kind of thing one put on one's CV when one went looking for a scripting gig. I absolutely didn't put it on my CV. In fact, I stopped doing television after that. (laughs) It was really difficult getting my next writing gig after that and just having to say what's on your CV to get your next thing. It was gutting. I sort of felt that I couldn't get involved with anything else because if they asked me, what do you have in your CV? I would have to say, oh, I did Melody Rules. (laughs) Hi, I'm Jeff Houtman, and you definitely won't find Melody Rules anywhere on my CV. In fact, I nearly gave up writing altogether thanks to the experience of working on it 25 years ago. Because, let's face it, it's pretty hard to come back when you're the co-creator of the worst sitcom ever made. Once Melody Rules had been released and ridiculed and removed from the schedule and relegated to the annals of television failure, I was at rock bottom. I'd lost confidence in the process and in my ability to write not to mention my ability to even get a writing job. Do you think that working on Melody detrimentally affected your career? Writing-wise, yeah, definitely. I would hope that most people understand how much can go wrong, you know, between the intentions of the creators of something and the actual thing that the public see. This is Melody Rules producer Ellie Duffy. I would hope that people would... Be willing to recognise that somebody who worked on Melody worked hard and did their best work and give them the benefit of the doubt and see whether they have something to offer, you know? Ellie's outlook on all this is so positive and astute and when I was talking to her, she raised one great point about the production process that we'd completely overlooked. To not do any sort of focus groups and not get any feedback on it. There was no no chance to um, regroup and reboot and head yeah. to more maybe where there was an audience. Nobody just assumes that it's great because they think so and they made it. Nobody does that. It's just stupid. That's a great point. Not once in the process did we ever find out what anyone outside of our creative bubble thought of the show. When Melody Rules went to air, it was the first time anyone, including us, had ever watched an episode. For me, it was also the last time I ever watched an episode... Until now, because I think it's time I face it once again. I wanted to find out, a quarter of a century on, away from the hype, expectations and cultural cringe, if Melody Rules really is the worst sitcom ever made. So I assembled my own focus group, a group made up of the most bipartisan people on the planet. Millennials. 
Hi, my name is Iman Longman. Hi, my name is Eugene. Hi, my name is Ryan. Hi, my name is Becky Ambers. Hi, my name is Isaac Kibblewhite. None of these participants had ever heard of Melody Rules before. And in fact, none of them had even been born when it was on TV. I gathered them together and tricked them. I told them that I was doing a podcast on the history of New Zealand television and that over the course of the day we were going to watch a range of different shows. And the first show we were going to watch was a sitcom from the mid-90s called Melody Rules. What's important here is where's my dinner? Good question, Zoe. I didn't tell them who I was, that I'd worked on it or that I'd created it. I wanted their honest opinions. So we spent 21 very quiet, very laughless minutes watching an episode. I'm going to miss beating you so easily, Mel. So what do you guys think? There wasn't anything stand out that you were like, ugh. But it was just, overall, it wasn't like, wow. It's not like, um, like a straight comedy that sets up a really good joke and then executes and makes you laugh out loud. It was like more of a a constant series of jokes that were kind of all right. Yeah, it wasn't as, like, Kiwi-oriented as um, you would expect. It's kind of more like an American kind of influence into it. Like, it was kind of like they took the blueprint of an American sitcom and just kind of did it in New Zealand. They cater to everyone. They play it too safe, and therefore they don't get anybody that they really resonate with. Zoe and stuff, yeah, they were were probably... um, more kind of interesting characters like Zoe and Jeff and stuff that are really funny and Neville, um, but Melody yeah, she was too nice. As the episode went, I kind of got a bit tired of her in particular. The actor was great I just think the character was a bit the writing was a bit off towards the middle part Her character's personality was quite plain. She made the whole scene just boring, I don't want to watch anymore. It's kind of like... They never left that one room, like it wasn't very dynamic, there wasn't many kind of locations, it was just like and it wasn't even two rooms. Like, it was the kitchen and the living room, but they were conjoined, so it was really just one room. These first impressions from a group of people who have never seen the show or heard anything about it just confirms everything me and nearly everyone else on this podcast have been talking about. Too bland, too broad, too American, too... boring. It's a confirmation that we weren't all just making excuses for being bad writers. We knew at the time what was going wrong, but we were too green to be able to do anything about it. Which then gave me the confidence to tell this group the truth. Um, Now I've got to confess something here to you guys. We're not going to watch any other sitcoms today. You were tricked into coming and watching this episode of Melody Rules. Here's the thing. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> I'll leave <laughs> I'm leaving I'm leaving too me and my writing partner created that show so it was you it was you it was your fault <laughs> and I told them all about it how we were chosen how we had created it and how it had gone down in New Zealand television history as the worst sitcom ever made it's a bit harsh to call it the worst um, I mean there's definitely worst things you could see. Overall it was boring, but the little bits in it were good. I'd say it would be the most average sitcom. Like, it was just generally average as nothing, but I wouldn't say it was horrible. I mean, there's no one racist in it. It was nice. <laughs> well, I didn't find anything to hate about it. I just wasn't interested. I mean, there's just more interesting things that I could have watched, but I don't regret watching it. 
it do have some like laugh points, so it's not that bad. So it's just pretty average. You got something on the air. I haven't. That's impressive. I might just be the saddest person alive, but having this group saying that the sitcom I created was just average, well, that makes me feel so much better, because I now realise that they're right. Melody Rules wasn't good. It tried too hard to be something it wasn't, and it was bland. But it's not the worst thing ever made. It was just a victim of circumstance, and I was surprised when I talked to the other writers that once the Melody experience had finished. They hadn't felt the failure like I did. For me, Melody Rules was a roaring success because I learnt how to write for television. I learnt how to write in a disciplined way. I learnt a lot about comedy. I learnt about, a lot about television. I got paid plenty of money. I managed to buy a laptop computer. So for this final episode, I thought I would get some views that were a little more educated than my own to help me dig a little deeper into this concept of failure. For me, failure. Is normally more of a global non-achievement of a goal. So you're aiming to achieve something and you fail it, and it has negative consequences. This is Elizabeth Peterson, an educational psychologist from the University of Auckland, who's currently conducting a review on failure. What was telling when I talked to her was how much her major lessons on failure lined up with the thoughts and learnings of the others who had worked on the show with me. Failure is different, I think, from A mistake or an error, because the mistake is more tentative,、um, and it can actually have positive outcomes. A mistake, but failure definitely has a a negative concept, and it seems to be a bigger a bigger thing than an error, for example. Can you learn from your failures? Absolutely, you you should do. You should learn from your failures. Not everybody does,、um, but yes, that is the idea. I think if we see it as a bad thing, we don't often talk about it, and、mm-hmm. I think it's important to talk about it. And unless we actually talk about Why they fail? We repeat these mistakes. So there's increasingly this idea that we shouldn't just publish on our successes, but we should actually share and publish our failures because there's also learning. I like the idea that I fail. I'm not going to be able to escape failure. I don't think failure should be stigmatised. I think it should be you, you just, just accept that you're going to fail and learn from that. I now know, and I think everybody knows now, 50 ways how not to write a situation comedy. There's a certain amount of embracing your past and embracing the embarrassing things too that actually is a strength and not a weakness. Failure is certain; it's a part of life,、mm-hmm. and that we need to stop ignoring it, talk about it, have conversations about it. And then I think if we do that, if we change the environment and create safer spaces to make mistakes, to fail at something, I think that we'll actually have a better society. And I think that that. Will help with things like this culture of blame that we have, that,、mm-hmm. that people are terrified of taking responsibility. It will help things like whistleblowers to actually put up their hands and say, "This isn't working." We have to strive for the best possible outcome. The things where we get criticised for and hammered for, we remember them way more than the things we did well. Like they hit us harder. Yeah. And we forget to celebrate the successes, and we also forget to go, "That's life, man." Who has had a career in any industry where they didn't f- up something? You fail and you try again, and you fail and you try again until you get it right. You don't give up, you know. What saddened me was the quick giving up in this. What happens when you fail spectacularly on a grand stage? You can't change it. So therefore, the question is, what are you going to do about it? Yeah. I mean, it, it hurts. We have shame. We have guilt. But I would like to think that. 
for every big failure that there was a learning. So I think, and that's where you get the growth and that's where you can climb out of this pit. I don't regret working on it, you know. There's, there's a lot of things in my life that I would call failures and I don't regret any of them because you bring something forward into your next experience that you figured out from that failure, you know. Trial and error is how life works and to fail is how we eventually succeed. The follow-on from it and what it's become and you know, the cult status that it really has is, is you know, it's, it's actually kind of cool to be part of, despite it being such a massive failure. What would you advise if you were coaching someone who had a massive public failure? I'd be trying to break it down, to talk about the emotions, to acknowledge that they're real, that they're totally appropriate. There's a difference between a failure and I am a failure, and I think you have to make that distinction. That you can fail, an event can fail, but that doesn't necessarily mean I am a failure, and people often internalise that. So it's about having a conversation around those kinds of things and then thinking, okay, so what do I want to do about it? Analyse that and then make a plan to move forward if that's what you want to do, or just move on. It just is what it is. I got paid to write 13 half hours. I learned a whole bunch about it. I just say own it. I've always owned it. I have to say that after talking to all of my friends and colleagues, I feel pretty stupid. Their outlook and handling of this whole experience is so mature. I can't believe I let it hang over me for so long. I even had to go out and make a podcast about it. It was quite clear, talking to them all, that not only did they not mind failing, they've also managed to grow from the experience too. I've learned from that mistake and I will apply the skills and failures that I've learned in that experience to other future projects. You know, the great thing was I, I had this great sort of dramatic structural experience to inform my um, non-fiction writing now. So, so I, you know, it did me a lot of good in a lot of ways. We were all disappointed in the end product, but we were kind of proud of the work we'd done. You know, there's, there's a funny dichotomy there. And I think we all just learned a lot when we got, I think, more halfway through the second season. We were more empowered, we were better writers, better directors, better actors, and we were making the best of what we had. I think the thing that I had to go and do to eclipse this genuinely was go and do something even more identifiable and embarrassing than that, which was when my friend Chris Graham asked me if I would be in this like Burger King ad, driving around in a car bobbing my head like a chicken. And kind of, it wasn't until that thing came out and it played for so long, like it just never went away. And that finally eclipsed Melody Rules and became the thing where people would be like, chicken <laughs> on the street, chicken head. Or people would walk past me bobbing their heads. I'd just be like, oh my God, <laughs> why do I keep doing this? Looking on the positive side, there are lessons to be learned that should be treated. Exactly. That should never happen ever again. It should never happen ever again, because it's lest we forget. <laughs> I learned such a lot from that experience, and plus made a lot of really good friends who I'm still friends with. You know, it was just a mess. It was a hot mess, and I learned a lot from it. And look at me now, happy. And what really has served me from Melody Rules was knowing that I have to stand up for myself, trusting yourself. I learned a ton about life as well as writing. I consider that whole group just one of the greatest teams to have never delivered to their potential. It's just a thing that happened. It doesn't 
mean anything more than that. It was just the thing that happened and we all moved on and all is well, I hope, you know. Nobody cares. Nobody cares. Honestly, you have been carrying this monkey on your back for years, Jeff, and the only person who sees it is you. She's right. I think it is time to get this monkey off my back and move on. And I feel like I'm in a good position to do that now. Remember in the first episode when I said I'd undergone a huge life change? How I'd moved from Auckland to Wellington and carted everything I owned along with me, including that scary manila folder from a past that I'd worked so hard to forget? Well, it's all because I have a new job. It's a great job. It's not writing or acting, but it's a job right in the guts of the film business, and in New Zealand, it's a job that doesn't get much bigger. And it's because of this job and my renewed self-confidence that I felt I could open that manila folder in the first place. And I'm glad I did. Because not only did I manage to get to the bottom of the whole messy affair, and not only have I finally realised that sometimes some failures are more than just one person's fault, I also got to see a whole lot of people that I really like again. Hello, hello. How are you? I'm rocking, babe. How are you doing? Good. Oh, my God, I haven't seen me here in like a million thousand trillion years. <laughs> oh, my what? God, here she is. <laughs> hey, Jodie. Hello, Jeff. <laughs> we haven't caught up for a while. <laughs> hey, Jack. Jeff, why did you bring me back to this place? Are we having lunch after this? Sure, why not? Is that you, Fluffy? Hello. <laughs> How are you doing, babe? Jeffy, baby, I'm good. For the listeners at home, this is Jeff and I high-fiving. <laughs> Jeff, my buddy. <laughs> I'd like to thank everyone. Every single one of the nearly 30 writers, actors, directors, producers, crew and commentators that I talked to. Guys, thanks for going back there with me. I know it wasn't easy. And thanks for helping me understand that it isn't actually all my fault and that perhaps it never really was. Together, we went through the fiery depths of hell. And together, we all came out the other side. Wiser, stronger, better people. So about here, la 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 la. A boom chaka boom chaka. Mm, me, me. I teach university now, I teach screenwriting, teach documentary. And because I've got an 11 year old and 9 year old, most of my life is around taking them to basketball, taking them to baseball, driving them around. I'm still a self employed actor, I do a lot of improv, um, I'm an acrobics instructor. <laughs> I followed you on IMDb which had a link to Melody Rules. Oh, jeez. So if someone put that back on, because I removed that link years ago. What's my brother's name? Ian. Ian. Ian, is he okay? Did Ian's like a police inspector or a police superintendent. <laughs> yeah, 2002, I joined the police. I was at my, um, my senior sergeant's qualifying course, and on the last day of my senior sergeant's qualifying course, some guy's going through a presentation, and up comes the opening credits to Melody Rules, and they'd found it on YouTube. Have you found Elliot? Yes, yes. Is he okay? Um, Askew One is my artist's name, so I now paint murals around the world. Um, the largest I've done so far is 11 stories. Yeah. I've got a solo show in Paris this year. It's like my first time showing there. I've shown in the States a lot of, shown in Detroit and Los Angeles. I was like, oh, I'm so over this. And that's why I went, I'm just going to go back to writing novels. It's just so much easier. And it's so much more fun. They've actually retired. Really? Yeah. Former actress, Jodie Rimmer. Oh, no, that feels hideous. Don't no. say that. Have you so, got a real job and stuff? Yeah, I'm a team leader slash manager at the New Zealand Wine Society. So who knew I could do something else? Because I was an actor for many, many, many years. That was what I did. I think it was the 
first time in my life that I really felt like I found my tribe, you know? And I'm still working in television 25 years later for much the same reason. I'm a, a dialogue coach now. I work a lot on Power Rangers. Well, I've actually been writing, but business writing, boringly enough. I've done a bit of counsellor training, but I've mainly done business writing. You know, I've written a few plays that are comedic. I recently worked on Fresh Eggs, which is a new black comedy TVNZ's doing. So I've still kept doing comedy. Just because this is a sound medium rather than a visual medium, Catherine does not look battle-worn, oh. but she does look toned. <laughs> the flattery. Oh, you silver-tongued fox. Oh, no, wait. Is there, is there any questions that you want to be asked? No, I just want to go now. <laughs> Thanks to everyone who worked with me on the worst sitcom ever made. RNZ sound engineer Jeremy Veal. My producers, the Download Concept and Glynis Stewart. Also, Adam McCauley and Tim Watkin from RNZ Podcasts. And thanks to you for listening. If you want to hear the whole series of the worst sitcom ever made, you can go to the podcast page at RNZ, or you can find it on most podcast apps like Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Radio Public, and Google Play. And while you're there, you can check out all the other great RNZ podcasts. The worst sitcom ever made was presented by me, Jeff Hartman.